0: It is a blessing to be able to celebrate the Lord's faithfulness. Uh, Obviously, one of the titles that is given there to the Lord Jesus in that song is, He is the light in the darkness. And sometimes we don't appreciate the light until we've seen the darkness first. And it is a blessing to know that He's with us even when we are in the darkness. I read a statement recently that I thought that you would appreciate this morning. It said, if done properly, being a pastor is like a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, but a park. I'm not sure if that is a reflection of the age of many who attend church, or if it is reflective of the chaos that often accompanies many of our lives. I'm going to go with the chaos thing, but um, chaos is going to be all around us. It's a part of living in a fallen world. There will be things that happen that we do not like. Uh, Sin is an ugly thing, and with it comes an awful lot of baggage, In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 17, we read a powerful story of God's provision and blessing. It's the story of Elijah, and he is considered to be perhaps the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and he is specifically tasked with announcing a coming deadly drought to an ungodly kingdom of Israel. Well, the drought happens just as he predicts, and it lasts for years. During that time of drought, God would continually provide for Elijah in all of his needs. One way that God provided was through a widow who prepared him a meal every day and miraculously never ran out of supplies. I've often wondered if God did this for Elijah's benefit or perhaps for the woman's benefit. Certainly God didn't need This woman to take care of Elijah, God had already provided for a good portion of the time that they were in drought. God didn't need this woman to provide for Elijah. God had provided without her, but he chose to use her. I guess in a similar manner. Many of the things that God calls us to do seem to be for the benefit of others, even though they may also benefit us too. So life does not happen in a vacuum. Anyways, after a long time of this widow caring for Elijah, her son becomes ill and he dies. Immediately, she appeals to Elijah, almost with a sense of bitterness and maybe some disgust. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 18, she says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance, and to cause the death of my son. You can hear the bitterness and the hurt within her complaint. What she is saying is that it would have been better for me had we just starved to death because of this drought. Instead, I must now watch my son die. In essence, she is blaming God and even Elijah as he has come for this time of great loss. And I kind of get it. A parent should never have to watch their child die. But life is not always fair. Now, in this lady's case, the death of her son would not be the end of the story. In fact, through the power of God in Elijah, we would actually see God move in a miraculous way. Elijah would raise her son from the dead. And her response was to glorify God, saying in verse 24, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Now, I share that story with you for two reasons this morning. On the one hand, this illustrates for us the fact that life is not always fair. This was, at least as much as we can tell, this was a good lady, who was providing for the prophet of God, yet she lived in a fallen world, which means that bad things still happen to good people. My guess is that everyone in here knows that already, but sometimes we can almost forget as we serve the Lord, it's almost as if he'll take care of us, everything will be good. The second reason I start with this story is that it connects very well to today's passage that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, as we run into an unplanned encounter with Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 17 today. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, and we'll look at it together. And as you are turning, let me give you an update on what is happening in this passage. Jesus has been out preaching, and even performing many miracles. As such, the crowds are beginning to grow, to follow him just about everywhere that he goes. In fact, a little bit earlier, even in this chapter, we are introduced to a centurion soldier who heard about Jesus in verse 3. And he sent for Jesus to heal his valued servant. What that tells us is that word was spreading about Jesus and what he can do, what he had already done. And here is centurion, which means he probably was not even a Jew is sending for Jesus in hopes that a miracle could take place. Well, having healed the centurion's servant, Jesus moves on to the next town. And listen to what happens beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, I want you to recognize the centurion whom I mentioned earlier, he sent for Jesus. There was nothing random about that encounter. However, this seems very random. I will point out that it really wasn't random. It just seems that way. It's like the woman at the well, in many ways, she was randomly there, and Jesus just randomly ended up there at the same time. Actually, that's not true. Jesus, as they journeyed, said, I must go through Samaria. There was intention that was there. God had always planned for this encounter to take place. This woman at the well that I just referenced, she would become one of the first evangelists. She would be the one that would go back to her own people and declare that she had met the Messiah, and many would come out because they had heard her testimony. And then at the end of that story, they declare that we first believed because of what you said, but now we believe because of what we have experienced. In this situation, this widow does not come looking for Jesus. She is consumed with her grief. Her husband is dead. We know that she is already a widow, and now her only son is dead. It would have seemed as if all hope was lost for her. And, and by the way, if, if you're a widow in this particular culture, you didn't have much in the way of people taking care of you. The idea was that the husband would take care of you, and then down the road, maybe your children would take care of you. In her case, her husband is dead, and now her only son is dead also. Even if she knew of the healing power of Jesus, the thought of Jesus and the idea that he could help probably went out the window upon this young man's death. Jesus was already healing man, but he hadn't raised anyone from the dead, at least not yet. So she's not looking for Jesus. She's simply grieving the loss of her son. And the fact that the large crowd has gathered to mourn with her suggests that she is probably a pretty good lady or her son was a pretty good guy. In other words, as good people, she probably was coming to the realization that life is not fair. If life were fair, her husband would still be alive. If life were fair, her son would still be alive. If life were fair, she'd have someone to take care of her in her old age. If life were fair, her heart would not be broken the way it likely felt on that day. And Unfortunately, this idea that life is not fair still rings true today. Good people are abused. They're rejected and broken. Sometimes bad people seem to get everything that they desire. Life is not fair, but God is still good, and his goodness is on full display in this particular story. I want you to notice that before Jesus does any healing, he simply provides his presence. It's not always about the miraculous work. That'll be a great part of this story, but he begins by simply sharing his presence. His presence is one filled with incredible compassion and grace. Know that there's no record of Jesus having been physically present in this town, Nain, before. And although Jesus knew this woman, because he knows each of us even better than we know ourselves, she probably did not truly know who this Jesus was. Oh, she probably heard stories, especially as he approached town. I imagine that there was a time that she thought, you know, my son is sick. I sure hope Jesus could get here in time. She knew of Jesus, but it's unlikely that she actually knew Jesus. Yet look at the compassion that she discovers in Jesus. In verse 13, we read read that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. In the NIV, it uses a different phrase. Instead of saying he had compassion on her, it says that his heart went out to her. In other words, Jesus greeted this lady with love. You know, so often we see the hurting world around us, and we are too busy dealing with our own lives to worry over them. I guess we figure that we can't fix everything, so we'll deal with what we can fix. Or perhaps this sounds harsh, but sometimes maybe we think to ourselves, Well, that's not really my problem. I've got my own issues to deal with. For example, this morning, we worship in peace and security, yet there are many around the world who cannot do so. I think of the people of Ukraine that I mentioned earlier, and truthfully, my heart goes out to them. I think of parents who have had to comfort their children, unsure of whether they're going to survive. I think of parents who are now separated from their loved ones, As they explain to their children that God is still in control, even though the world does not seem fair and things are falling apart. But there's a part of me that wants to say, I'm just glad it's not me. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever thought that way. We hear about the things that are happening in other parts of the world, and our thought is, yeah, but that's on the other side of the world. At least it's not here. I know this sounds selfish, but maybe sometimes the thought that goes through our minds is, well, that's their problem. We have our own problems here. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't ignore the pain of others? He saw her and his heart went out to her. He didn't see this as an interruption to his plan for the day. He didn't just press on past the crowd. He had a crowd of people with him, and there was a crowd coming toward him. He didn't decide to squeeze past without even giving attention to what was taking place. Instead, he met her in the midst of her sorrow. That is light in the darkness. Now, it should be noted that Jesus often met people in the midst of their sorrow and their brokenness. Sure, you've got examples where he met those whose needs were a physical touch, but he also met those who were in the midst of other types of brokenness. Remember the woman who had been caught in adultery? He met her in the midst of her brokenness, restoring her and calling her to a fresh start. Do you remember the story of Lazarus He's the friend of Jesus who died while he was out ministering to other people. The Gospel of John tells us that when Jesus approached Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that they were weeping. And Jesus responds by weeping alongside them. He didn't weep because of his friend's death. He knew Lazarus was about to be raised again from the dead. Jesus wept. Because he loved those who were weeping. He meets us in the midst of our brokenness. That's who he is. And in this grieving widow's case, Jesus encourages her with the words, Do not weep. Don't cry. This wasn't because it was wrong for her to cry. Weeping is normal, especially when dealing with death. But in this case, Jesus is about to take away her reason for crying. You see, he not only is providing his presence, which is a beautiful, gracious thing, and oftentimes that's what people need the most, but he's not just providing his presence to this lady. He is about to display his power for all to see. In verse 14, we read that, Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. Now, at this moment, it is likely that not everyone in the crowd recognized Jesus. Certainly, they knew that this was a person of importance, for there was a crowd that followed him as well. But again, Jesus likely has never been to Nain before. Maybe some in the crowd wondered at who this man was and what his connection must have been to the deceased man. Even possible that some wanted Jesus to simply get out of the way. We've got a, a funeral procession that's going on here. Step aside. But they were about to get the biggest thrill of their lives. This man is being carried on a, a beer. It's a type of platform that is often used to carry a casket specifically to the grave. It's often used after the funeral. In many ways, the fu- funeral has already taken place, and now you're just taking them to the graveside. They've said their goodbyes, and the only thing left to do is to give him a proper burial. But Jesus walks over. He places his hand on the bier. And as he speaks those words, young man, I say to you, arise. The world would change for these people. They have come grieving, wondering what would be next. Who will provide for this lady? And Jesus is about to change everything. I imagine that others had pleaded with this young man upon his death, that he would get up. I imagine her saying something like, I've already lost your father. I can't afford to lose you too. But no matter what she said, she was unable to restore her son back to life. But Jesus was more than capable to restore life. This was not some random man who had just happened upon this funeral procession. This was the Messiah, the one who had authority not only over sickness, but over death. And remember that he has already healed many, but raising someone from the dead was new, or or was it? Do you remember where we started this morning? With the story of Elijah, who raised the widow's son from the dead. When this happened, it became evidence to her that Elijah was truly God's servant. God had already been miraculously providing for this lady's needs every single day. But this was when it became clear that Elijah was God's servant. And here, moving back to the story with Jesus, Jesus is doing great miracles already. Word is spreading about what he can do. But the idea of Jesus being able to raise someone from the dead was pretty extreme. Unless he was actually sent by the Father himself. And I don't know if you remember this or not. But Jesus would have a conversation with his disciples. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 17. In that, he asks a question of his disciples. I want you to listen Why would they suggest that he was Elijah? One reason might be because Elijah never died. And although they may not know it yet, Jesus' story also would not end in death. (laughs) But perhaps the other reason is because Jesus is doing the same things that we saw Elijah do in raising a widow's son back to life. I told you that the widow responded to Elijah with celebration and honor. Now I know that you are the servant of God. Now I know that the words you speak are truth. She suddenly believed that he was God's messenger. Everything that he said was true. Well, how do the people respond to this great work that Jesus performs? He provides his presence. He displays his power. And now we see that he also receives our praise. The crowd can do nothing except celebrate the fact that Jesus is the real deal. Listen to verse 16 and 17 for a moment again. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The type of fear that is being described here is a type of honor and respect. It's not a, oh, he's about to get us, that kind of thing, but rather, wow, he is so much greater than us. It's a recognition of his greatness as opposed to our lack of greatness. He's greater than anything we've ever seen. It's been hundreds of years since anyone has been raised from the dead in this community, what's more is that it's been so long since someone's been raised from the dead that probably some of the folks, if not all of the folks that were present that day, they probably thought of Elijah's story as nothing more than an old wives' tale because it had been so long. you sure it really happened that way? This was real. They knew that this guy was dead, but now when he sat up, he began to speak to them. Can you imagine the excitement that went through that crowd? I mean, this guy, you've already seen the funeral. You've already done everything. You've fulfilled all of the obligations. He's probably been grieved over, and the family probably greeted over him over and over and over again. You knew he was dead. It wasn't like he just died and maybe he was just sleeping. We got it wrong. He's probably been dead for days. And suddenly he gets up and he begins to speak. So they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. Now that title is no doubt inadequate, but it was the best that they could do to describe what had happened that day. And then they declare that God has visited his people. And they likely didn't even realize how accurate that statement was. This was not just a messenger of the Lord. This was the Lord himself. They're looking at the power that's available, saying well, the only place that could come from is from God. And that's how they know. But what they don't recognize is standing in front of them is the Lord himself. And do you think that this mama could ever keep this to herself? First of all, you, you got the crowd that followed Jesus, and then you got the crowd that was coming with this funeral procession. Even if everybody else chose to stay quiet, do you think that she could have stayed quiet? She's going to want to shout from the rooftops what the Lord has done. Her son was dead, and now he is alive. She was completely hopeless, and now she knows the hope and the promise of life that God could provide. My son was dead, and he is alive. Even if she could keep it quiet, as Jesus often instructs people to do, there was a large crowd of people that probably would not have kept this quiet. Word would naturally spread that there was one who had authority over death, and his name is Jesus. I want you to know today that Jesus is still all power, even over death. He compassionately loves us. I told you at the beginning here that he offers us his presence. Sometimes The greatest thing that we could have is the presence of God. We want the power of God. We want him to do these great and miraculous works. And I want to encourage you to know today, he can do those great and mighty works. He's still just as powerful as he was before. But sometimes what we really need is simply his presence. When things aren't going the way you would like them to go, When it seems as if everything else is falling apart around you, sometimes it can just be encouraging to know that you're not the only one, that he's there with you, that he will provide, that he won't abandon you. In this situation, Jesus provided his presence, and then he just gave her the double blessing by also extending his power. We talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that hope is provided to us. Sometimes God will heal, and he'll do things the way we ask. Sometimes he will heal through doctors. Sometimes he will heal by taking us to heaven. I didn't go into much depth of that. The reality is, when we enter into God's presence, as in for all eternity, we experience a new kind of healing. It's a complete healing. Often we're asking God to fix broken things that are in our lives. We want to take away a certain type of sickness, but here we are, we're still in our imperfect bodies. There will come a day that we will no longer have to deal with sickness or death. The very moment that we enter into the presence of God for all eternity, we will never again have to deal with sickness and death. That is the ultimate healing that has been made available to us. I can't tell you why sometimes he chooses to heal with a doctor. Sometimes he chooses to heal, in this case, raising someone from the dead. I can't tell you why sometimes he allows people to die and go into eternity. But I do know that Jesus is our best hope. Number one, because he loves us, just as he loved this woman who probably didn't even know him. He loves us, and his presence is available, but also his power is available. I want you to know today that Jesus desires to have an encounter with you. That's what this series is all about. You've got individuals who are sick, and they need an encounter with Jesus. You've got individuals who are broken, like the woman who had been caught in adultery, and she needed an encounter with Jesus. You've got all kinds of people that need that encounter. I'm telling you, Jesus, not only only can it happen, but he wants it to happen. He desires an encounter with you. And the thing is that he could meet you in the midst of your time of celebration, or he could also meet you in the time of your sorrow. I know. You probably enjoy meeting him in the time of celebration but you'd probably appreciate it more during that time of sorrow. That is the light in the darkness. I don't know the things that you may be going through today. Some of you may be struggling with things that nobody else knows about. Maybe your spouse knows about it. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know. Some of you right now are brokenhearted over family members who perhaps things aren't the way that they should be. Some of you are concerned about work, some of you are concerned about illness, I want you to know that God's presence is available and his power is too. Maybe what we need to do is simply seek him. It'll turn into an opportunity to praise him, but I do believe that he wants to meet with you in the midst of that. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, we celebrate the presence of God During times of celebration, it is an incredible blessing, but during times of sorrow, man, it means so much to us. Father, I pray today that your presence would be very real to each person who is here. I pray that you would allow us to recognize that you're not some far-off God that has nothing to do with your creation. You haven't left us to fend for ourselves But rather, you are intimately involved with our lives. And when things seem to be falling apart, it's an opportunity for us to draw near to you, to have that personal encounter, to experience your comfort and your grace. But it's also an opportunity for you to reveal your power. I do pray today for those who are broken, who need a special touch from you. Father, I pray today that you would unleash your power in our lives, that we would see the hand of God still at work in our midst, the same power that was available to your people 2,000 years ago. We believe today that it is still available to us, and we pray right now that you would perform miracles in our midst. I do pray for those who are physically hurting. I ask that you would touch them. I pray for those who right now are in a place of turmoil. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray for those who are grieving over family members that are not in the center of your will. And I pray that even now you would change hearts. Lord, that although it may seem impossible, that you would give a new hope to us. Father, I pray that lives would be changed because the power of God and the presence of God are both as real today as it's ever been. Father, simply reveal yourself to us, and as you do, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be quick to give you praise, to celebrate to our world and with our world that we have a God who is still on the throne and one who can still meet our every need. Father, I pray today that you would That you would reveal yourself to us, and we'll give you praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. It is an incredible blessing to be with y'all. I was asked to mention, I I should have done this during the announcement time, and I forgot to. Um, We have a church basketball team that just finished up this week, and um, we lost in the championship game. So I'm not here just to brag on being second place. Uh, Debbie Gore was harassing me for that earlier. Actually, what I want to do is to celebrate the influence of our church, and that as we were getting ready to leave, one of the guys from the rec department came up, and he said, I just want you to know, out of all, as a church league, he said, out of all the churches that were here this year, your church represented Christ better than just about any church we've seen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I want to thank you as a church for being that kind of church, where the community knows that the presence of God is real here. So thank you very much. Go in peace.